You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up Podcast presented by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me is my co-host, he is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports, whether it's via victory or loss. He's there for you each and every time. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, the Broncos, let's face it, we all knew they weren't going to run the table, but they dropped their first game of the season in Week 3. Yeah, I had a bad feeling about this game, and my feelings were proven to be true. It was just a horrible, horrible performance, and they have to rebound from this. That's right. It was uh, just a bizarre game. We got so much we got to dissect and react to here. But first, we got to take care of some quick business. You guys, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. Zach can be found on Twitter, at Kelberman247. Myself, at Chad and Jensen. And if you haven't done this, take some time and go leave a creative review wherever you're listening to the show. I don't care if it's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Spreaker, YouTube, wherever you're listening to the show. Take some time, rate the show, and leave a creative review. Big way that you can help us. It helps us to grow and reach new listeners. So if you haven't done that, take some time, knock that out. we got to also say thank you to a sponsor of today's show and tell you about this awesome, awesome new podcast. Do you play fantasy football? Make sure you stay ahead of the curve with a new podcast called Fantasy Foresight. Hosts Jay and Ben focus 100% on fantasy football. They share their total foresight with private metrics and projections to help you win your fantasy football league. If you play fantasy football, whether you're a savvy vet or if this is your rookie season, you can't afford to miss their podcast. Again, it's called Fantasy Foresight. Find it on iTunes. All right, so... Check out that podcast for those of you who are really into fantasy football. I still play fantasy. Sometimes I do daily. I'm in the same league I've been in for a long time, but it's a great podcast, a newer podcast. Check that out. But we've got some real football here to dissect and and break down today. Zach and I, your Denver Broncos went on the road. They were put to the test in a hostile environment for the first time in the regular season this year, and they were found wanting going into this particular game, Zach. The kind of feeling around the NFL was, yeah, the Broncos are one of seven teams or whatever it was to start 2-0, but the kind of the general feeling uh, most, I think, analysts around the league thought is that this 2-0 Broncos team was more fool's gold than legit, and they more than backed that up on the road today, losing 27-14. It's eerily similar to last year when they started 2-0 with a big victory over the Cowboys. They went to Buffalo and got hammered. Yep. And it's the same kind of result today. I mean, it's a very tough place to play Baltimore. Not a lot of people realize that, that that crowd and the the way that stadium is constructed and the environment there, it's, it's very tough to play there. And, and the Broncos, for the most part, did not show up. They started off lights out it, it, great with that with the punt block and the touchdown quickly, and they just fall, fell apart after that. I tell you what, if I would have known, seriously, before this game that it was going to be Ray Lewis Day, I seriously, no, really, like that might sound like petty or small, but I wouldn't have picked the Broncos to win in the Mile High Roundtable. I really wouldn't have. Like once I knew that the that the Ravens were celebrating Ray Lewis and his Hall of Fame career and all that uh, on Sunday in Week Three, I was like, ooh, the emotion of this game. It's gonna. I mean, the Ravens they had their dander up, man. They came to play. They, you know, they they were kind of counted out. They got blown out by the Bengals on Thursday night, and people kind of wrote them off. But they're still a very well-coached team with John Harbaugh. They still have a good defense, and Joe Flacco doesn't get enough credit for his arm and his smarts as a quarterback, and he exposed that Denver defense today. He did what Derek Carr did in Week 2, which was stand in the pocket, find his receivers open in the middle of the field, and know where to target that secondary. And Isaac Adam, that rookie cornerback, with Adam Jones out, that was the big key factor in the game. So it was just, uh, it wasn't surprising to me at all. Yeah, in fact, normally we start on the offensive side of the ball, but today we're going to start with the defense because... If you look at this team here, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a dichotomy. It's a contradiction because they stopped the run. They absolutely, for all three games this year, for the most part, they've stopped the run. In week three on the road, that's one of the quintessential keys to winning on the road is stopping the run. The Broncos did that with gusto. They allowed the Ravens only 77 yards on the ground, and yet the Ravens were able to put up uh, 27 points 
And really the reason why was that right arm of Joe Flacco. And it was really kind of the same old story that we've come to expect so far this year. You see the Broncos defense and the cornerbacks playing oddly off coverage, a very soft coverage scheme. You see the inside linebackers biting very hard on play action and relinquishing that zone over the middle. And then, unfortunately, you saw a lot of lapses from some of the younger players that are still kind of learning their way. Even Isaac Yadam found a way to make a negative impact standing on the freaking sideline. Yeah, uh, the run defense to me isn't a concern. They're still pretty good up front. They get good penetration with the the D-line. And the inside backers, as as much as they're criticized, they're good against the run. But that secondary and that passing defense needs some serious work. Whether it's zone or man, whether it's scheme or the players, uh, something needs to improve. You have Kansas City coming to town in week four. With the most explosive offense in the NFL, with the MVP candidate in Patrick Mahomes, they are going to get torched in front of a national audience if they don't do something about it. I don't know what happened to the no-fly zone. They are a shell of their former selves now, and it's gotten worse and worked by the week. Yeah, I mean, even Chris Harris, we've talked about it on the show many times thus far, but even he doesn't look up to the same snuff I think we're starting to see and I don't think it's because he's getting older because he's not that old yet I would still say he's on the the you know the back nine of his prime but he's still in that prime window as far as age you know you can't really chalk anything up to losing a step in that sense not yet anyway I think it's really we're we're seeing Chris Harris having to be the guy and You know, he's he's still a very good corner. I don't want to take anything away from him. He's a three-time All-Pro, three-time Pro Bowler, world champion, a guy that overcame, you know, going undrafted, not even getting invited to the combine himself. He's very good in his own right. I don't want to take that away, but he's proven so far through three games that he's not cut out to be the tip of the spear as far as the, you know, the, the secondary itself. He's a great complimentary piece. He's a great number two corner. He's not a number one corner. Bradley Roby is supposed to be that number one corner for the Broncos. And I'm still, here we are three weeks into the regular season. I'm still waiting for Bradley Roby to make a play. I think the Broncos miss a keep to leave more than they let on, mm. honestly. Because he was their true number one on the outside. And Chris Harris Jr., like you said, for as great as he is, he's just not an outside cornerback. He's the best slot corner in the NFL. But he's kind of playing out of position. And not having that stabilized outside corner like Aqib Tlaib, and Bradley Roby hasn't been anywhere near his level. It's been disappointing because both of us wanted Roby to step up. Both of us thought he deserved that that, that shot as a starter. Yep. And it just it hasn't he hasn't translated to being that starting cornerback for them. He's getting picked on over and over and over again. And he looks bad in coverage. Not even just average, bad. Yep. I mean it's I wrote it after the game in the five things we learned r.i.p the no-fly zone like it's just it shouldn't be used anymore in any any real sense the phrase no-fly zone the name whatever you want to call it the catchphrase i mean they're just and you know what's not helping them is their defensive coordinator is not putting them in the right positions to succeed now you know some of the time it's hard to read because pre-snap when you're seeing them relinquish those seven and eight yard cushions sometimes coordinators leave that up to the players on the field sometimes they'll call it in the headset to you know to to play it um you know close to press man against the line of scrimmage other times they leave it up to their discretion on the field whatever the case might be in in, as it relates to the broncos joe woods has to put his foot down they got to play press man not necessarily every single play but here's here's a good example another thing i wrote about in the piece zach i don't know if you remember this second quarter that first 50 plus yard field goal that justin tucker hit okay which i think put the ravens uh still down by four so it's 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 closed the gap 14 to 10 broncos were still winning it was third and 10 the ravens were on the broncos 43 yard line not quite in position for a field goal but it's third and 10 Bradley Roby's playing literally 10 yards off of Michael Crabtree on third and 10. Oh, the so, eight-yard catch. Yeah. yeah. And so all the, all Flacco does is pre-snap. He sees that cushion. He knows what the play call is. He knows that's where he's going. Crabtree reads it as well, runs a little short route. Flacco hits him out of bounds. Wasn't enough to pick up the first down, move the chains, but it was enough to suddenly put Justin Tucker right into that 50-yard window that he's just money, and boom, three points. So it's costing the Broncos. That's just an example of where it cost them some points. It's costing them in terms of uh, opposing teams moving the ball, and especially underneath and over the middle, they have got to come up with an answer. 
a great point. And let me just say that Vance Joseph deserves blame for this too. It's not just Joe Woods. I mean, he is the coordinator, but Joseph is the head coach. The play calls go through him, and he's a former secondary coach. And I've harped on this a lot, probably too much, on here, on Twitter, on Facebook Live. But it's an indictment on both of them. Both are former secondary coaches. They they cut their teeth coaching defensive backs. And they just have no solution to these these scheme issues. Whether to play man, whether to play zone, whether to, to mix it up a little bit, whether to blitz. You know, it, it's things like that that they're just not on the same page. And it's costing the Broncos right now. And I don't think it's any surprise or any coincidence that since Joe Woods and Vance Joseph took over last year, this secondary has fallen off a cliff and you can say it's a key to lead being gone or hit or chris harris jr not playing up to snuff but i don't think it's a coincidence under wade phillips this this past defense was it was impossible to throw on and now every quarterback is, is finding their way to, to make, pick them apart so uh, both those coaches definitely deserve blame and they have to figure out what is their strength and to me it's still man press coverage. It's still coming up to the line of scrimmage, bumping them off the, the receiver's routes, and letting the pass rush get there, forcing the quarterbacks to hold the ball for one more second to allow the pass rush to get home. And until they figure that out, they're going to keep getting burned. I mean, I don't disagree with you that the fault lies on uh, also with Joseph and Woods. Both of those guys need to put their heads together and come up with a better plan. We keep waiting for Joe Woods to improve as a play caller, for him to improve as a schemer and as a tactician, and it's just not happening. Consistently, this defense is getting put into poor position. And sometimes, I mean, if it's obvious to us watching from the outside uh, looking in, it's got to be obvious to them as the guys who are breaking down each and every snap, calling the plays. They know whose responsibility is what on each and every snap. It's got to be obvious. Now, if you look at what the Broncos did early on, they shut down Joe Flacco and the Ravens. They were playing to their strength. They were a little bit more aggressive in the secondary, and the pass rush was getting home. You saw Bradley Chubb pick up a killer sack. It was good to see mm-hmm. him finally get his first official full-blown sack credited to him, mm-hmm. by the way. But then the lapses started to come as uh, the game started to pick up momentum. And uh, at some point, we got to see improvement there because we're talking – I mean, if you look at who the Broncos have faced thus far – as far as elite quarterback opponents, you can throw Russell Wilson in there with a significantly depleted supporting cast. Okay, week one, Broncos find a way. They win. Week two, Derek Carr, I've talked about it on the podcast. I think he's a lot better than most fans give him credit for. Mm-hmm. He's able to complete over 90% of his passes. Week three, you got Joe Flacco. Is he elite? Is he not elite? We, I think we all know the answer to that question. And he was, a, I mean, he looked like a freaking all pro. He's outrunning Darian Stewart to the edge late in the game. So bad. He's picking apart the Broncos secondary. He's working the middle of the field. And these aren't exactly the, you know, the last two opponents anyway, aren't exactly world beater quarterbacks. And yet they're just dominating the Broncos in the passing game. And as you pointed to just a few minutes ago, next on the schedule, you've got Patrick Mahomes and the Red Hot Chiefs. I just shudder to think, even though it's going to be in Denver. Can you imagine Tyreek Hill against Isaac Yadam? Or or any of these, Travis Kelsey going up a Broncos defense who can't stop Will Disley and Mark Andrews? It's going to be a bloodbath that they don't improve. And again, with the tight end today, they, they were wide open. There's no excuse for that. It can't, it can't be the fact that they're missing Suba Cravens. They don't know what they have in them. Mm-mm. So, it, again, to me, it leads me to believe it's not just on the coaching, no. They don't, they don't get exonerated for this at all. But a lot of it, to me, is on the coaching staff. It's oh, the yeah. scheme. Yeah. You can't point to one defensive back on this roster, maybe with respect to Justin Simmons, who's improved in two years. They've gotten worse. This coaching staff cannot develop a defensive back with a head coach and a defensive coordinator who are both secondary coaches in their careers. Brennan Langley was a third-round pick. He's on the practice squad now. Isaac Yadam was taken in the third round. He gets burned. He can't even get his head around. So the coaching staff leaves a lot to be desired on the field. Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, they've, they've got to step their game up as, as schemers and as play callers and holding guys accountable for failures to execute. Uh, and the players, I mean, the players got to take some pride in what's going on here too and step up to the plate because you look at what uh, the Broncos allowed. Granted, it's on the road. You know, it's never easy when you're on the road, but – that defensive performance, I mean, this Ravens team, their receivers, all three of them, John Brown, Michael Crabtree, Willie Sneed, I mean, none of those guys are elite-level no. wideouts. And they were just, I mean, none of those three guys, like, had huge games per se, 
Michael Crabtree had 10 targets. He caught seven balls, 61 yards. Uh, John Brown had five receptions for 86, which included a 44-yard deep ball. Uh, Sneed, he was pretty quiet, three receptions, 39 yards. But when the Ravens needed those those guys, they, they stepped up to the plate. So it's mm-hmm. execution. It's also coaching. At some point, something's got to change. Another thing we got to talk about as far as the defense is we saw a lot more of Josie Jewell in week three playing for a kind of banged-up Brandon Marshall. What did you think of Jewell's performance? If you First were able off, to really, you know, watch him. Right. I mean, good call by you. You wrote about that earlier in the week that they were going to give you know Jewel more snaps. So uh, nice call there. But he impressed me. There weren't many bright spots in this game, but he's definitely one of them. He had a good pass breakup. He was good in run support, had a couple. I think he had one uh, tackle for a loss. He looked pretty good for a rookie. Yeah. And I haven't been impressed at all with uh, Brandon Marshall or Todd Davis this year for the most part. They are definitely replaceable. And the Broncos' front office deserves blame for locking them both up to extensions. Mm-hmm. And they finally got their you know, their uh, successor on the roster in Josie Duell. So the more playing time, the better for him right now. I think he's going to be a good player for the Broncos. And he looked good in what was a pretty poor defensive effort overall. Yeah, I liked it. You know, there was a couple of uh, – I saw one missed tackle. But, I mean, it's a big difference. His instinct and ability as a coverage guy – again, it's kind of bizarre because you go back to his combine and he did not test well athletically, which is one of the reasons he was there for the Broncos at the top of the fourth round. But then you looked at his production in college at Iowa as a coverage linebacker, and he had over 30 passes defensed, multiple interceptions. He finds a way to do it. Now you watch this game against the Ravens. There's that one play where they tried to single him out with, uh, I, I can't remember if it was a tight end or, or a fullback on a wheel route, but it was a wheel route type of, uh, of, of play where the Ravens were trying to single out a, a bigger, I think it was a tight end actually, on I think it was Andrews. Jewel. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's yeah, Andrew. So, and Josie Jewell stayed with him, and he, you know he had a step on Jewell, but right as the ball's dropping into the bucket, Jewell's instinct. He he looks up. He sees his opponent's eyes looking for the ball, and he just sticks his arm up. Pop. Yep. Pops the ball. Incomplete. Huge play averted. And if that were Todd Davis, it would either have probably been completed, or it would have <laughs> been like you know pass interference a penalty yeah so you know that's the thing is they've got to get Josie Jewell on the field more at this point because I mean neither of those starting off ball linebackers are playing up to snuff it, it to me it's so sad that the Broncos inside linebackers have been so bad in pass coverage that even a rookie making one pass deflection and getting his head around is seen as a major victory. But to his credit, he he was one of those guys at Iowa who was always in the right place at the right time. He was a team captain. He was a a lunch pail player who showed up on Saturdays and now Sundays and did his job, knows his assignments, and he deserves more playing time. I was very impressed by him. Like I said, it, it wasn't there wasn't many bright spots in the game, but I thought Jewel was definitely one of them. Let's talk about really what the dagger, I think, was. We're going to talk about the offense here in just a few minutes, but I think the biggest dagger that really cost the Broncos here was their lack of discipline as it played out in the penalties department. On the day, they were penalized 13 times for a total of 120 yards. Now, to put that in perspective, as a rushing offense, the Broncos rattled off 120 yards. So for every rushing yard the Broncos picked up in the positive, it was negated by penalty yards. And then you look mm. at what those penalties cost the Broncos uh, from, a, from a scoring perspective, and it, it just gets ugly. There was the special teams, which two blocked, uh, one block punt, one block kick. You got to tip your hat to uh, Tom McMahon over there because he's doing wonders. Like as a, as a unit overall, that third phase is more than carrying their, their share of the water. But on that second block, on the field goal attempt, Chris Harris Jr. scoops it up, takes it all the way back, and the Broncos get flagged for a block in the back. Now, here's where it gets weird. It was penal- the, the number used by the refs was 77, which is Billy Turner. Well, it's not easy when you're watching the broadcast to see exactly who's all on the field on a snap. Billy Turner, as we found out after from Doma Tapeco, uh, was not even on the field. Let me play you really quick. Now, this is via Troy Rank in the locker room after the game. Check out what Doma Tapeco had to say about that penalty and how it swung momentum away from the Broncos when they badly needed it. 
But yeah, man, that was a huge play for us. Block the kick, you go down, and score a touchdown, man. That's, that's seven points, and they they take it away from us. And I don't think we got, I don't think we ended up getting any points from that drive. So yeah, only yeah, scored was, uh, again after that. After yeah, so that was a big change in the the game for us. And uh, yeah, man, it's just it's crazy because they said the the penalty was on number 77, but we don't have a 77. And then we asked again, they said it was on 37. So we couldn't clarify anything, you know. So all right, so. There you have it. I mean, it was just a bizarre deal. The refs, I mean, granted, here's the thing, Zach, is I saw a lot of Broncos fans just crying over the refs being a little too loose, uh, not being very democratic with their uh, throwing of the laundry. But it was a really sloppy overall performance by the Broncos. A lot of those plays, they they did deserve the, the laundry on. This, I don't think, was one of them, though, Zach. This was a bizarre call that took away a huge swing from the Broncos. It was a totally incorrect call. Even if we nudged him, if Pecco was the guilty party, he nudged him. It was away from the play. It had no bearing on the play. That call was terrible. And the Broncos seem to get awful officiating crews every single week, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. The NFL finds a way to continue harming its own product with these refereeing crews. And it's just, it's pretty sad. I had a big problem with that negated return for the touchdown because it totally swung the entire game. It totally took points off the board. Philip Lindsay wouldn't have been ejected if they would have scored on that play. It totally changed the whole outcome of the game, and I have a problem with that. Now, with that being said, though, the Broncos did deserve to get penalized as much times as they did. Garrett Bowles was tackling players. That's a hold. (laughs) They were jumping offside. They had 10 men on the field on offense, 12 on defense. Those are coaching errors, and I, I say it too much, but that's coaching. And it's unpreparedness. It's lack of discipline. And it was shades of 2017 to me from last mm-hmm. season. Yep. It looked eerily similar to last season. And it was uh, very, very distressing because the Broncos, I thought, grew from that. Vance said this week that last season's dead and gone. Well, it, it has some heartbeat still. It's still alive a little bit because those penalties and that lack of discipline is purely on the coaching staff, not having their players ready to play and execute as they should. So um, the, the the kick return, that whole thing, yeah, that was awful on the refereeing part, and the uh, th- that flag shouldn't have existed. But a lot of the Broncos' penalties today were deserved, and that falls on the coaching staff to me. Yeah, and I definitely do not disagree with that. I mean, this coaching staff has got to – get it together in terms of preparing their guys to, to go on the road like this. And then they've got to hand out some – there's got to be some accountability. Okay, and I, I wrote about that also after the game. And I'm going to save that for just a minute. One thing that I, that I think you touched on that needs a little bit more room to, to talk about here is the fact that with 13 penalties, Vance Joseph, I mean, a lot of those penalties, as I even said myself, the Broncos more than deserved, especially on the offensive line. Okay, but – the Broncos were not getting similar calls when some of the rushers were getting held on the opposite side. Broncos rushers getting held by Ravens offensive linemen. I think mm-hmm. Vance Joseph, he's kind of got a milk toast, nice guy persona on the sideline. And I think that he needs to throw that out the window and stop being buddies and friends and kind mm-hmm. and nice with these officials and start being the type of a-hole that can to just gets in these guys' ears like a freaking wasp and can be a complete pain in the you-know-what and be more assertive when your team is getting the raw end of the deal. We're not really seeing that from VJ, and I think some of that just comes from his nice guy. That's just his personality. That's the way he is. But he needs to be, I think, a little bit more of a dog himself on the sideline getting in the face of these refs. You know, you got to toe the line. But even if you go back and watch week one, okay, when you've got Pete Carroll in town, some of those calls that went Seattle's way on penalties and different calls that the refs made, I mean, he was passionate on the sideline. His players could see it. He was influencing the refs. Even though a lot of times it didn't go his way in the moment, you don't know how when you really get in a ref's face over what you perceive to be a bad call, you might not swing it on that call because usually once the the call is made, there's no swing in it. But that could influence them later on in the game from going, yeah, Carol was on me about that. I'm going to hold it. It happens. Like, I'm telling you right now, the coaches that ride the refs the most, they seem to get the, the least amount of calls in game because it's just like the whole idea of people, human nature, by and large, trying to avoid conflict and confrontation, right, in your personal, interpersonal relationships and on the job and whatever. Same goes for these refs. The more these coaches are in their faces complaining, the, the less likely these refs are uh, to, to throw the laundry. Now, there's a fine line because 
you know, if you're really obnoxious about it, you're going to get uh, flagged yourself for unsportsmanlike conduct and you're going to hurt your team. But I think there's a fine line and a way to do it in which you're at least not a pushover and a sucker that just takes it every time something doesn't go your way due to a ref call. Yeah, it, it kind of goes hand in hand with having an alpha personality. And I think Joseph is more of on the beta side. And, uh, you know, it also it's respect around the NFL. He doesn't have that reputation as being this championship winning coach like Bill Belichick. Belichick can stare a referee down right. and not say anything and get the penalty called his way. It's just a respect thing. It's just a, having a standing in the NFL to be this great head coach. And Vance isn't that. He's a lame duck for the Broncos. And fans know it. Players know it. Referees know it. Everyone tied to the sport knows that he's on his last leg unless he wins here. So he needs to be more assertive. Yeah, and that's one thing what John Elway wanted to sh- him to show this season. He wasn't that assertive last year. People, coaches, players were walking all over him. And I thought he did a little better, at least with the media. Yeah. He was, you know, he was a little more aggressive with the media or t- a little take more charge attitude, but he needs, like you said, I agree with you. He needs not to stand there. He needs to get in their faces, spit a little bit, you know, pop some veins in his forehead, really get going and chew into them because maybe those penalties will get called because I, I agree with you. A lot of times that Von Miller was held, mm-hmm. uh, the inside pass rushers were held, it wasn't called on them. We saw it last year too. Yep. So it's just, I think, a level of respect around the NFL. Until the Broncos get back to winning and they have a coach who's revered around the NFL, uh, that's not going to change. But we tried warning everybody that this Ravens offensive line is actually quite similar to the to the Raiders offensive line. They're big, they're physical, they're underrated, they're led by their all-pro Marshall Yonda, and they, for the most part, shut down the Broncos' pass rush, at least in the second half, when the Broncos really needed it the most. Early on in the game, the Broncos were able to get some pressure and some hits in on Flacco, but as this thing progressed and you got into the clutch and you really needed your pass rush to get home, this offensive line was just stymieing Von Miller and company. And there were a couple, and I understand why some of the Broncos fans were uh, complaining about it on social media. There were a couple of plays in particular in which there seemed to be clear holds by the Ravens' offensive line, especially the two tackles on Chubb and Miller. But the laundry just wasn't flying that way. And so in those situations when your offensive line's getting freaking flagged three times on a single possession, okay, Vance mm-hmm. Joseph, you and, and you're not seeing that on the other side of the coin at all. They're, they're like, they're not even considering throwing laundry on the offensive line on the other side. You got to get into the face of these referees and be more assertive. So hopefully that's something that can change moving forward. And again, one thing I, I want to caution everybody on here, okay, we're, we're reacting to a very disappointing loss in which it was a you-know-what show, but we can't we can't go too far overboard. It's one loss, like I said at the top of the show. Zach, we knew the Broncos weren't going to run the table, and this looked like a very difficult matchup on the schedule just because how hard it is traditionally to win in Baltimore. And even though I picked the Denver Broncos to win this game, and my reasons are in the mile-high roundtable, if you want to go back and check it out, uh, you can. But it's it's one loss. Okay, the Broncos are 2-1. and one. They're still above 500. As, as you spoke about, Zach, it's eerily similar to how last year started, except what we do know about this team as opposed to last year is this does this team does already have more metal. This this team has more sand, as evidenced by the fact that in their first two wins, they came from behind to win in the fourth quarter. So this was the third consecutive game in which the Broncos trailed going into the final period. That's what they need to get to the bottom of, Zach. they got to figure out why they're getting trounced early in games and why it's requiring fourth-quarter miracles in order to make the difference. Yeah, I said after week one not to get too high on the Broncos and not to get too low on them. You have to stay even-keeled. I don't think they were as good as we saw in, in certain spurts last, the last couple of weeks, but they weren't as bad as we saw today. They are somewhere in the middle, as the truth usually is. Yep. I will say that next week, though, is a big barometer for the Broncos. Huge. Yep. They're coming off a bad loss, coming home, play, facing the best team in the NFL in front of a national audience. How they respond, how they perform in that game will tell us what we need to know about the Broncos team this year and how they answer adversity. That's the test of a true contender, how they respond when the chips are down. This is their first loss. It was a brutal loss. There's not much good to take out of it. But they have a chance now to shock the world, take back that crown, and swing momentum back in their favor. Can they do that? Will they regroup, or will they go back in their shell like last year? We will know whether we'll see more of the 17 Broncos or if this is a real new age in Denver football. So uh, next Monday is a big test, at least in my opinion. 
Absolutely, and we still got a lot to get to. We haven't even talked about Case Keenum. We haven't really talked about the offense. Uh, we're going to get to that as, lo- as well as step your game up, uh, and we're going to exercise some demons in the Mile High Mailbag. But first, we got to talk about another sponsor of today's show, My Bookie. You know, ever since we started this podcast, people are always asking us for advice. Usually it's, you know, are the Broncos going to win or what team is going to win or do you like this matchup or do you like that matchup? But the truth is we don't know who's going to win. But if you think you know, you got to check out my bookie because who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. And that's why I always tell people to bet with my bookie. And trust me, guys, they are your best bet this season. They've been in business for years. They have great reviews online and their mobile site is easy to use. So lay down some cash and you can win big today. Now, this is only something I would recommend as a service to my listeners uh, because it's been good to me. And that's why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. You win, they pay. They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player is going to score each game. Join my bookie right now and they'll match your deposit dollar for dollar up to a thousand bucks if you use the promo code HUDDLE. So visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. Don't forget to use the promo code HUDDLE. And if you do it after 7:30, they're gonna throw in an extra $25 credit. So go to mybookie.ag, use the promo code HUDDLE to get your first deposit matched 100% up to a thousand bucks. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, so we mosey back on to the offense, which was just terrible. Um, There's no other way to put it. On the road, this is when you needed your quarterback to really prove his worth, carry his fair share of the water, and Case Keenum, I'm sorry to say, was uh, put to the test and found wanting. But if you go back and look at the game, it was one of the keys to victory that I talked about last week on the show was they needed to start fast, and this offense was able to start fast with a little bit of help from Denver's special teams unit. But the Broncos put 14 points on the board really quick. I mean, the Broncos were up 14-0 with less than four minutes to go in the first quarter, and it was looking like, whoa, the Broncos are going to dominate on the road. This is They're really going to show some people this time around. But no, mm-hmm. it was not to be. Joe Flacco and the Ravens, not only did they storm back offensively, putting the defense on its heels, but from there, Case Keenum and company, after that second touchdown, after Emmanuel Sanders took that jet sweep 35 yards to the house, they proceeded to go on seven consecutive three and outs. So that doesn't even speak to the worst thing about Case Keenum's performance on Sunday. There's there's two things I got a bone to pick with Keenum. One, he was holding on to the ball way too long. If you go back and look at that that play in which uh, Lindsey got ejected on the strip sack fumble, jumping into the to the pile, which we're going to talk about here in just a minute. But if you go back and watch that play, Case Keenum executes the play fake, then he strolls out right like he's walking his dog in the park. He's got all day long. He's thinking about the meaning of life. He's like, oh yeah, you know. Time like, there's no clock. He had no clock in his head. And Suggs just comes up from behind and clocks and the ball comes out. So there was that. The other thing was, of course, yet again, second week in a row, a red zone interception. And this one came after Garrett Bowles was flagged on yet another obvious holding penalty in that particular case. Keenan comes back on the very next play. I think it was second and 20 interception. And it, you know, who knows if that would have made the ultimate difference in the game because the Broncos ended up losing by two scores. But it's just one of those things in the red zone, Zach, that especially on the road, the truly great quarterbacks, you just can't do that. Five interceptions in three weeks. It's To me, it's incredible. He threw seven all of last year. He leads the NFL in interceptions. I never, thought, I never thought that would be because he's a game manager, not a gunslinger. And I fully agree with you. His his mental clock was non-existent in today's game. I don't know what happened to it. Hmm. He got the ball very quick the first couple of weeks, but just kept holding on to it, holding on to it, holding on to it. And it made the O-line look bad in comparison. Hmm. They were bad on their own. But when you hold the ball, how long do you expect them to block for without yep. either, either allowing a pressure or surrendering a penalty? Yep. So, yeah, I don't know what happened to Keenum today. He kind of regressed. And those interceptions cannot happen. And to your point about whether it would have made a difference, they could have, you know, drawn within a score. They still had time left in the fourth quarter. You never know. But to throw that bad interception again, 
which is becoming a weekly thing. It's not what they paid him for, plain and simple. $18 million a year to lead the NFL in interceptions? No, nah, it's not going to cut it. Yeah. Well, the Broncos paid him $25 million guaranteed because they thought he unlocked something last year in, in Minnesota. They expected to get the Vikings version of Case Keenum. And I think it's fair to say that the first two weeks – they didn't get the Vikings version of Keenum. They got the Rams version of Case mm-hmm. Keenum. And then this week, they got the Houston Texans version of Case Keenum. I mean, he's regressing in that sense. And you want the trajectory going in the opposite direction. You want it climbing. You want him getting better each and every week, not regressing. And so it's an unfortunate trend that we're seeing with Case Keenum. It's to a point now where fans, the majority of feedback I get on social media, on anything that is, is centered around the offense or Case Keenum as far as content, topics it's chad kelly chad kelly chad kelly when are we going to get chad kelly how much longer do we got to put up with keenum and as long as he continues to throw these picks and just i mean seven consecutive seven consecutive three and outs and this is a Mm. ravens defense that's as you talked about earlier it was a great point they're always well coached okay they're always going to play fundamental disciplined football but they were missing two key playmakers today, especially the quarterback of their defense in C.J. Mosley. And the Broncos go three and out seven times and then relinquish the sacks, the hits. And again, a lot of that's on Keenum because of how long he was holding on to the ball. And then that interception in the red zone, it's absolutely unacceptable. He's got to get better. And But here's the thing, Broncos country, you got to get this through your head. For those of you that are pining for Chad Kelly, it's not going to happen this year. It really isn't unless Keenum gets hurt. The Broncos are going to ride or die with Case Keenum in 2018. There's just, I mean, that's just the way it is. They paid him $25 million guaranteed, signed, done. That money's paid. They're going to ride with him uh, even if it, I mean, I could see the Broncos going on multi-game losing streak with Keenum under center. They're not going to make a change at quarterback this year. It would take a lot for them to even consider that. Like you said, I mean, the money and the the faith they put in him. The only way Kelly enters the game is if Keenum gets injured or the Broncos are blowing out a team or they're getting blown out. Mm -hmm. It's the only way. They are sticking with him, do or die, win or loss. It would take an enormous losing streak like last year, like five or six in a row for the Broncos to think about putting Chad Kelly in there. Yep. As much as Broncos fans want to see Kelly, you don't want them being one play away from having Kevin Hogan be your quarterback. And and Kelly's still untested, and you know it's it's still Keenum's team. He still did enough to establish establish himself as a starter. He's, he's the number one. He's locked in there, and the backup is always the most popular guy on the team. It's just how it is. Yeah. But the rea- the reality is Keenum's not going anywhere. Yeah. And you know what? He's been inconsistent, and he's thrown picks in the red zone, and he leads the NFL in interceptions and all that. But he's also done a lot of good things as far as moving the ball, feeding his playmakers. So there's there's a lot of different things, and, and really being a good leader. So there's a lot to like, too, about what Keenum has shown through three games. But this inconsistency, at some point, it's he's, he's got to stabilize. And once he does, it's going to equal good things. The one takeaway I had from this game is that, you know, true franchise quarterbacks, they're able to, when their team as a whole, when things are going sideways, if the defense is getting exploited or, you know, special teams gives up a big play, Peyton Manning could come in and carry your, your team, put the offense on his back, go down and score, no matter what happened on the other side of the ball. Go back to that Broncos-Cowboys shootout game, right? I mean, uh, Manning was carrying the water for everybody in that particular game. That's what the true greats can do. They can cover the holes, raise all ships, even when things aren't going well in the other two phases. Case, And that's what franchise quarterbacks do, man. Case Keenum, though, he's shown thus far that if things aren't firing on all cylinders in all three phases, he's not capable enough, at least not yet, to bridge the gap himself, put the team on his back, and be the difference between the Broncos losing on the road and winning. To me, he'll never be, obviously, in that Manning tier. And he has shown more good than bad overall. You know, take take the season in a three-week window, not just one week. But the Broncos fans and the coaching staff and everyone who follows the team is so used to ineptitude at the position. They are so used to having Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch, Brock Osweiler, that anyone by comparison looks better than them. It's just how it goes. So Keenum... It, it's a tough read. They're not going to get the Keenum from the Vikings. That was a little bit of a fluke. They can say all they want that they want to capture lightning in a bottle, that they still have upside, they want to scratch with him. They are not going to get the, the Keenum from Minnesota. 
But if they can get anything near that, consistency. I've been saying this for a while. They don't need an all-pro back there. They need someone consistent. Take care of the ball, make a few plays here and there, and lean on your running game. And the interceptions, it just cannot happen. He's shown a lot of good traits to me. A good leader, like you said, very fiery. He can rally the troops, but he needs to cut down the interceptions. It has to happen. Not only that, and this is the last thing I want to say, and then we're going to move on here, is... I have been extremely unimpressed with his arm strength. There's been a few plays in particular on a couple of his five interceptions where his arm strength was was one of the reasons why, just floating balls. But I have been surprised at how below average his arm strength has seemed at times thus far as a Bronco. But let's talk more specifically about this offensive line. And really what I want to talk about is the mental lapses. I mean, they took two steps forward in week one. They take a little bit of a step back against the Raiders and then a couple more steps back in week three against the Ravens. At what point does Garrett Bowles, does this get through to his head, that if you take your opponent to the ground in a pass-blocking <laughs> set, you're going to draw the eyes of the officials. And then when that happens, more often than not, you're going to draw the laundry. It's, if you can pancake your man in a, in a run-blocking set as the aggressor at, at the point of attack, great. You're going to make the highlight reel. You're going to get props from your coaches. It's going to be great. But if you're taking your man to the ground on the edge in a pass set, not it's not absolute, but it's close enough that it might as well be. You're gonna get flagged. It's the same thing as we saw last year. It's the same technique errors and the the same lapses that he's shown. You can't tackle someone to the ground and fall on top of them and then act confused when you get penalized. It's just there's a there's a difference between getting getting by with holding. You know, holding happens on every play, but it's blatant. And the Broncos O line as a whole, Garrett Bowles is not the only one. Every offensive lineman struggled today. Valdir a lot of sack, McGovern a lot of sack, Paradis a lot of pressure, Leary was called for a really bad personal foul. I haven't seen, it's been at least a year, I mean some parts in last season, that we saw this bad of O-line play. But it starts on the blind side. The left tackle for a right-handed quarterback is the most important position on the offensive line. And Garrett Bowles, he has the talent, the upside there. I thought it'd be unlocked. The Broncos were expecting a sophomore bounce back. But it was just disastrous today. You cannot tackle an opposing pass rusher to the ground, especially when you're facing Terrell Suggs, who's a you know a perennial All-Pro or he was. Uh, it was a, a really, really, really disheartening performance by the entire front so five. Far is that you know when he goes up against like a bona fide veteran, proven edge rusher, he struggles. On some of the younger guys that are still honing their craft, he tends to hold up pretty well. But if you go back and watch that play in which. Keenum was hit from behind by Suggs and Philip Lindsay jumped in and all that. I mean, it looked like to me that Bowles didn't understand the play call because he kind of let Suggs just fly by him, and yet you had Keenum just hanging out on the edge like he had all day to, to throw. I think, I don't know this, but I think Garrett Bowles thought that that was actually going to be a handoff, not a play fake. I really do. And so that's another mm-hmm. issue on Bowles is you got to wonder – where his head's at. So, I mean, overall, I think Matt Paradis was probably the best Broncos offensive lineman in week three. Valdir was all right, but he did allow that inexplicable sack that he just got beat uh, one-on-one by Zadarius Smith. Offensive line's got to step it up. That was not good enough. What we've learned, another thing about Keenum, is if he doesn't have solid protection, he's going to throw picks. If you do not protect Case Keenum, the interceptions are going to come. And what's frustrating is that if you go back and watch the Minnesota Vikings offensive line last year, I mean, they were a bottom third offensive line. But for the most part, they kept Keenum's jersey clean. That's why he only threw seven picks through the whole season. The Broncos have to learn, and it looks like it's going to take the hard way for them to for the lesson to hit home. But if you don't protect Case Keenum, he's going to throw picks. And so that onus is on the Broncos offensive line and then the flip side to that coin is that Keenum has got to ha- show better situational awareness better pocket awareness and pay more attention to that clock in his head a couple times I thought his pocket awareness was the only thing saving him he stepped out of a few sacks he got rid of the ball as he was being clobbered and um he took a lot of hits today he's going to spend a long time in the cold tub tomorrow yeah. he's probably beat up right now so uh, the old line, it was uh, it was very very similar to what we saw last year. And I thought we were past that. How point. much his knee was bugging Keenum? Uh, missed practice on Wednesday. You got to wonder right. how much that might have played a factor in his subpar performance. But last thing I want to touch on, and then we're going to move on from the offense, is that that fumble that led to Philip Lindsay jumping into the pile, 
getting flagged for unnecessary roughness, and then getting ejected for throwing a punch. What was your take on how that whole situation un- uh, unfolded? And did you think Philip Lindsay, in fact, threw a punch the way that the refs uh, kind of made, you know, the way they shaped that, that he actually threw a punch? And it, was he deserving to get 86th? No, he didn't throw any punches. They were jabs. They weren't yeah, they were even like, full-blown. He wasn't me. attacking someone. It was a sc- Right. It was a scrum, and he was going through the ball. I mean, and the refs had no idea what was even going on. There was a, a huddle for like 15 right. minutes after that whole brouhaha, and they decide he's going to be ejected. It should, to me, that was a horrible, horrible development. He did not deserve to be ejected for that. It was a play that you see almost every Sunday when there's a fumble. Players are fighting for the ball. He wasn't stomping on someone's right. head like Dominic and Sue. He was just trying to make a play. So when I did I not agree with that it, in the least. On the first replay, I thought, ah, uh, he was going for the ball. He was trying to punch the ball out. And then after the fact, watching some of the replays, you know what I think actually happened is his left arm was pinned underneath the pile. And I think that you'll, you'll if you go back and watch it, it's on the website. You guys can find it on the Five things we learned. Zach put up also some highlights and an actual replay of the the play itself in individual article. It's there. Go to the site and check it out. But he's laying under the pile, and then I can't. I think it was Juden, um, the Ravens outside linebacker. I could be wrong on that, but he's leaning over the pile, and it's to me it looks like it's putting pressure on his arm like that, and he kind of jabs up like get off me. And it wasn't like trying to cold clock someone mm. and like knock someone out with a punch. I mean, he's laying on his back with his arm pinned under a pile right. and you're going to flag him for for throwing a punch. Like, if the Broncos have a bone to pick with the refs in any way, shape, or form for week three, it's two things. One, the Philip Lindsay call, ejecting him from the game. That was absolutely ridiculous. And two was, where was the penalty on that block kick that Chris Harris returned? Where was the actual penalty? And did it influence the outcome of the play? That's what the Broncos need to take to the league office and say, look, this cost us a W in week three. I'm not a big fan of pointing fingers at the referees. I don't believe that, you know, you should allow allow them to determine the outcome of a game. You need to play better so you can offset them. But that's two weeks in a row now that the Broncos got screwed out of points based on bad calls. And it's affecting the outcome of games, and that cannot happen. So in this instance, that Philip Lindsay and the Billy Turner phantom block, he wasn't even on the field, it's inexcusable. It really is. I mean, it's one thing to flag the guy for a punch that was being thrown. It wasn't even a punch. But to eject him, one of their best players, it, it to me, it's, it's inexplicable. Right. Yep, absolutely. It was inexplicable, and I'm with you. You know, I'm, I hate the crying about referees and calls and bad calls that don't, don't go your way. Like... I'm one of those guys that gets really irritated. I think we all have that, you know, we can probably relate to every family has that one member who's always whining and bitching about, you know, oh, holding, holding, <laughs> you know, and you're like, ah, give it a rest. <laughs> well, I hate having to point out refs. But in this case, the Broncos really did get screwed twice, okay? The Broncos got screwed twice. It's on Vance Joseph to be more assertive on the sideline, and hopefully they can submit these plays to the league office and get – uh, you know, hopefully the, the, this ref crew can learn from that. But we still got to get to step your game up. We still got to exercise some demons in the Mile High mailbag. But first, we got to talk to you about Vivid Seats because we all love a night out, whether it's seeing our favorite band in person or being there in the crowd to cheer on our favorite team, the Denver Broncos. With Vivid Seats, you can attend that concert or that show or that sporting event of your choice at a great price. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all of the live events you want to go to. You can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice. You can get specific and target what you want. To make things even better, Vivid Seats is giving listeners of our show an exclusive promo code for new customers to receive 10% off your first purchase with Vivid Seats to save even more money. So go to the App Store. It's really easy. Here's what you do. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seeds app. Use promo code HUDDLE for your 10% off your first purchase with Vivid Seeds. Download the app, it's free. Use promo code HUDDLE to get 10% off your first purchase with Vivid Seeds. Every purchase is backed by 100% buyer guarantee from the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater and more. Vivid Seats has it all. So download the app, enter the promo code HUDDLE for your 10% off your first purchase with Vivid Seats. You guys, go make yourselves a memory that lasts a lifetime and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. 
All right, step your game up. Let's make this one short and sweet, okay? I'm going to throw out three names, units that need to step it up. You tell me what you think. Case Keenum, step your game up. Broncos offensive line, step your game up. Broncos defensive backs, including the safeties, step your game up. Broncos coaches, step your game up. Broncos play callers, step your game up. You can pretty much name everyone, every single person on the team, except for a few. It was a, a totally collectively bad effort. It starts, though, with the quarterback, of course. He is the leader. He is the highest, you know, the highly paid player on the team. And it goes as he goes. You can't throw red zone interceptions. You can't turn the football over. You can't hold on to the ball for 10 seconds and expect to win games. Offensive line can't tackle edge rushers to the ground you can't get bad personal foul penalties you can't do those things it's just football one-on-one and the secondary i don't know where you guys went i don't know what's going on but if you're allowing mark andrews and will disley to to tear you up what are you going to do against travis kelsey i shudder to think of the thought those three areas of the team just like last year are a detriment right now they're holding them back and the secondary to me is the most glaring It went from a strength to a weakness now, and it's gotten worse and worse and worse. So, uh, yeah, that's definitely the biggest, uh, you know, biggest problem areas right now for the Broncos. The coaches have to get on top of this thing quick. They got to look hard in the mirror. They got to make their adjustments as play callers and as schemers, and then they got to hand out accountability downhill and make sure guys who aren't towing the line that were consistently make having lapses, and then also those lapses in key moments that led to massive momentum swings. Those guys have to pay some kind of a price. And I'm even saying, I went on record in the in the piece after the game, five things we learned. You know, the Broncos want to be able to brag that, oh, since going in the first round, Garrett Bowles has started every game at left tackle. You know, that's something they hang their hat on, like, look at us, we made a good pick. Well, you know what? Maybe that needs to take a back seat to a guy paying a price. Maybe he doesn't start week four against the Chiefs. Maybe he still plays the majority snaps, but you give the start to Billy Turner or Elijah Wilkinson just so that, A, Bowles gets a taste for, you know, you got to pay when you're that bad. When you're that atrocious, you cost your team that badly, you got to pay a price. And then, B, the guys on the team see that there's a price to be paid if you're not towing the line. So I think there's got to be some accountability. Will we see it? Probably not. If there is accountability, it'll probably be behind closed doors. But we move on. Two, the Mile High Mailbag, because Zach and I are your football priests. Each and every week, we're here to offer absolution and answers to your burning Broncos questions. And since this is the first loss of the season, the Broncos now being 2-1, and one, losing 27-14 to 14 on the road to Baltimore, we thought we'd uh, allow you guys to exercise some demons with some concerns, with some of your own gut reaction coming out of this game and and we'll go through some of these and Zach and I will react we'll kind of share we'll commiserate with you a little bit but let's let's go with what Bethany Reed had to say on Twitter at Beth0362 Bethany's concerns Vaughn was quieted very little pass rush Lindsay was ejected it was bad call hurt us offensively game management by VJ terrible defensive coordinators and penalties on the O-line your thoughts for for Bethany there Zach I don't disagree in the least I really don't see what anything she said wrong was. Everything led to the Broncos losing today's game. And, you know, maybe singling out Von Miller is not the wisest thing because he's Von, and he did have some pressure there. He was really close to a sack, but he was negated pretty much for the second week in a row. And I think teams are learning now, get rid of the ball quickly, three-step drops, quick shots over the middle. If you can hold the ball and and allow your receivers to get open, they can kind of take away Von Miller. So I don't disagree so at all with what the, she said. I think she's spot on. continue to play soft and off like that, and so long as the inside linebackers continue to bite on play action, Von's going to be neutralized because that plays right into what the opposing offenses are trying to do, which is short throws, neutralize Von Miller. All right, so then we move on here. We've got uh, Eli James, Eli on Twitter, at LB Malija. I don't know how you say that, but Eli says, Quote, Bronco fans need to just realize that this isn't the no-fly zone or the 2015 defense. Half of those contributing pieces are gone. This is the new reality. It's a good rush defense and a middle-of-the-pack pass defense. It is what it is. It really started uh, going downhill after T.J. Ward was released. And then you saw it kind of go downhill last year on field. And then they got rid of Aqib Tlaib. And it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. And it's a lack of coaching, a lack of development, and for my money, I wouldn't have retained Darian Stewart. I was calling for his release before his salary became guaranteed for this year. He's a detriment right now. 
He's not. He got shook by Joe Flacco, yeah. who has stones for feet. I mean, it shouldn't happen at all. He is one of their weakest links right now. And Bradley Roby not stepping up. And uh, Justin Simmons is good, but he can't. he's not that good where he can overcome all these lapses. So uh, the secondary, like I said, it went from a strength of the team, one of the biggest strengths, to probably their biggest weakness. I mean, it's pretty sad to see. not too long ago that you know the Broncos got rid of all the dogs, which included him. But I think you're right that that was a little bit of an emotional turning point when they released T.J. Ward, and especially as suddenly as they did on the doorstep of the start of last season. But that spilt milk, I mean, that's ancient history. The truth is the dogs that are there now got to find a way to, you know, you know, release their inner junkyard dog and, and get back into this thing. Uh, speaking of overcoming bad situations, Joe – at Joseph G. Ledesma, he says, we need to be able to overcome bad offensive line play. We need to be able to overcome officiating that isn't the best. The secondary and defensive coordinator need to improve. We also need to overcome player losses for any reason. And it's worth pointing out there too, Zach, that you know the Broncos were without Adam Jones. He didn't even suit up. Um, and then they lost Tremaine Brock with a groin injury about halfway through the game. Yeah, I agree with the coaching. It has to improve. Uh, you can't really control injuries, though, or predict them. I mean, it's, it's tough. The injury bug always strikes. And you can't really beat two teams on a consistent basis. You can't play a team and then also the NFL Zebras. And two weeks in a row now, the Broncos are playing two teams. One week they got past it. One week they didn't. It's it's hard. You got to get better refereeing there. So um, they got to improve the coaching staff because it all goes from there. The players learn from the coaches. The players play and the coaches coach. Uh, the injuries. I hope they get better. Uh, hopefully, Jones should play against the Chiefs. They're going to need all hands on deck no against that Chiefs offense. Now, a couple more here. This one comes from Gary Smith, longtime listener of the show. He points to a lot of the same stuff, uh, but there is one thing at the end that we haven't talked as much about. But Gary says, I'll start with the obvious. My concerns is this coaching staff in particular, VJ and Woods. The D is so vanilla and isn't doing anything with its strengths player-wise. And here's what I want to talk about. Davis and Marshall, oh, man. And it's it's true, man. Gary, you're 100% right on everything you said, but especially the off-ball linebackers, like it's DEFCON 29 right now like this these off-ball linebackers are absolutely horrible um what i'm saying my solution is this more snaps for josie jewel and we saw joe jones make some plays on special teams let's give that dude a shot on defense Mm -hmm. i mean it can't be a whole heck of a lot worse than what we've seen from from marshall and davis can it zach no, and this is what it's been in the last couple of years. Since Danny Trevathan left, it's been just awful from the middle linebackers. It's been the weakness of the team up until this year when the secondary took that crown. To me, I don't know why they brought back Todd Davis. I thought they should have upgraded there with someone, a rookie or a, a veteran. Uh, but to have both of them, and they're kind of the same player, whether okay against the run, yeah. but just brutal against the pass. And that's why Josie Jewell needs more snaps, like you said, because he's the only one among that group that can cover a, a running back or a tight end. I would even give more snaps to Alexander Johnson. He looked pretty good. You have six inside linebackers on the roster. Start playing more of them because your starters right now, they're they're injured a lot. They're ineffective. They're not cutting it. So I would give more playing time. Have, Joseph Jones is a great suggestion. mistake to he put pretty a C good. on Todd Davis's chest because he might end up losing his job by the time this season is out, both he and Marshall. That's how bad they've been. Now, we move on to Jacob Smith, also longtime listener to the show. Great dude. Jacob says, concern. The organization and the fan base have been fooled into believing that seventh round and undrafted quarterbacks can get the team back to a Super Bowl and that the 2015 defense is still on the field. There is no field general on this team. Leaders, yeah, but a true field general on defense or offense negates a lack of coaching at times. Starting fast isn't an issue. This team definitely has more fight than last year's squad. That's definitely not a concern. But Jacob speaks to something that I've been saying for two years, and that is it's one of the reasons Paxton Lynch failed as an experiment in Denver, and that was this idea that the Broncos thought their defense was so great that they could get by with a middling, fair to middling quarterback situation, that everything else was good enough to overcome that because of how they won the Super Bowl in 2015. They weren't lighting up the scoreboard. It was the defense that made the difference. But they've this isn't that defense. I mean, if that's not readily apparent three weeks into this season, I don't know when you're ever going to realize that though, that's ancient history, Zach. I mean, this is a new situation. It's a different defensive coordinator, and the talent is just simply not up to the same par. The defensive line and edge rushers, I think, are about where it was in 2015, but it's the second and third level of the defense that's just not there. 
I was going to say they have mostly the same players. Mostly. They lost a lot of talent between now and 2015. No regretting that. Malik Jackson, Trevathan, Ward, Aqib Tlaib. But the common denominator the last couple of years when it all went downhill is coaching. As far as I'm concerned, they have enough talent on the defense where they should succeed. Von Miller and Chris Harris Jr. alone. Then you throw in Derek Wolf. Then you throw in Pecco. Then you throw in Bradley Roby, who would start on most teams. Justin Simmons. That's enough talent to succeed. Not to get exploited by unknown tight ends, exploited through the air. It falls on coaching to me. And they have enough talent on, enough talent on offense, too, to not yeah. you know, get held off the scoreboard. Score more than 14 points. So the denominator there is coaching. They went really downhill after letting go of Wade Phillips and Gary Kubiak. The loss of him as an offensive mind on the sidelines was bigger bigger than the yeah. one to admit. I believe that. Here's one question, and then we're going to get out of here because we're running long. But this question comes from – and by the way, everybody, you guys, there's a lot of – uh, concerns and reactions to our Twitter question that we're not going to have time to get to. And a lot of the reason why is you're all saying basically the same thing. You're pointing to the defense. You're pointing to poor coaching. Uh, so we hear you. We're with you. We get it. Don't think we're ignoring you, though. But this last question, and we're getting out of here, comes from Dion Hicks on Twitter. The question, Keenum was brought here to help with our turnover problem, but he currently leads the league with five interceptions. What do you guys think is the problem, and can it be solved? Um, I would say, and I'll serve this over to you, Zach, but I would say just real quick that, yes, it can be solved. It absolutely can. But some of it stems from Keenum being new to the new kid on the block. Some of it stems from Keenum trying to do too much at different times. Some of it stems from him uh, thinking his arm is stronger than it apparently is. And then some of it also is just, you know, an entire team just – kind of relearning how to play football again with a new leader at quarterback. But do you feel like this is a problem that can be solved, Zach? And if so, what do you think is maybe one of the solutions that could help Case Keenum cut down on the interceptions? Absolutely, it can be solved. And I think it will be solved. And you nailed all my points, I was going to say. The one thing I can, I can offer up, though, is they have to form an identity. They have to figure out if they want to be a run-first offense, pass-first offense, if they want Case Keenum to be a gunslinger or a game manager. You can't be both. And they kind of, you know, go between both those things. You can't straddle that line. you got to pick one. So to me, to, to cut down the interceptions is to be more consistent. Use the run to set up the pass or the pass to set up the run. You can't really do it both ways. And like you said, his arm strength isn't really that great. It's not an Aaron Rodgers. He can't make those throws at all. They have to play to his strengths, and it falls on coaching. I've said that a lot. So they have to figure out what they want to be on offense, what their identity is. I think they should be run first, as far as I'm concerned. But you, if you have Keenum drop back and, and pass 40 times a game, I agree it's going to kind of offset 100% that. that the Broncos absolutely need to forge an identity, and that's still up in the air. You, you spoke to it. It's still up in the air. But what have they been good at so far? There's two things that this Broncos offense has really been particularly good at. One, running the ball. They went into this week number two in the league in rushing, and they finished the game with 120 yards on the ground, which will probably keep them in the top five coming out of week three. So they're good at, at, at running the ball. The other thing is they went into week three with the most big plays in the NFL, and the NFL uh, qualifies that a big play as anything 20 yards or more. Broncos went into week three with 15 plays of 20 yards or more, which is one better than Kansas City to be number one. So what that means is, they're having success by running the ball when they run if they stick to this formula they run the ball to set up the play action and that's where the big plays come from and if you ask Case Keenum to do any more than that if you suddenly ask Case Keenum to sit back there in the shotgun and throw it 45 times like Peyton Manning you're not going to win I mean this has to be a more focused approach and I don't think necessarily Bill Musgrave was the problem today I really don't I think Bill Musgrave is actually one of the few assets on a coaching level that can be pointed to as Thank God the Broncos at least have that. But Keenum needs to execute better. And maybe if you're going to say anything about Musgrave, it's Zach. Maybe he just needs to realize where his his bread is getting buttered. That is the running game. But in week three, it wasn't easy because they lost Philip Lindsay. Right. And the thing about Musgrave, I'll disagree to a point because last week they started off slow but became aggressive. Today they started off aggressive but kind of winded down towards the end. The last drive of the game, they were calling run plays that were down by two touchdowns, trying to drive back in the game. It, to me, he kind of he went into a shell a little bit. And I've been a big Musgrave fan to this point. I thought he's done a great job. But today, I would give him kind of a C. 
whereas I was giving them a B plus or an A minus before. They have to determine what they want to do. You can't ask Case Keenum to be a, a gunslinger if that's not in his makeup. He's not that good of a quarterback where you can win solely on the strength of his arm. He needs a supporting cast. And he can't blame receivers dropping passes today. Yeah. Even Demarius Thomas caught him. Corlin Sun was catching him. So, uh, got to get the run game going. That's going to set up the Broncos is, for success. Week four against Kansas City Chiefs, the Broncos are going to have Phillip Lindsay. They so they should be at full strength to be able to do what they do best. And we'll we'll probably come back to you uh, if Zach and I aren't able to get back to you in time to uh, before the next game. Look for the scouts I preview from Nick and Carl to really go into depth on what the Broncos can do this week to stop the Kansas City Chiefs. But that's all the time that we got for today. You can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman247, myself, at Chad N. Jensen. You guys, stay away from the bridges. It's one loss. We knew this team was not going to run the table, okay? Uh, the sun is going to come up tomorrow. Everything's going to be okay. Let's just hope that the Broncos learn from this failure and apply that to their game moving forward. But make sure you're subscribing, y'all, because it's going to be a crazy season as it's played out so far, and you're not going to want to miss a single episode. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.